0: Diamond Stud, the bad guy, Razor Ramon, the man who oozes machismo, Scott Hall. Whatever moniker you remember this man by, I can guarantee you were blessed by seeing greatness. A man who revolutionized the world of professional wrestling and left a mark on the business that will never be erased. Working with the World Wrestling Federation as Razor Ramon, a leave from the company sparked a revolution. In a short matter of time after his departure, we saw Scott Hall on World Championship Wrestling. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here, are words that will live in infamy. A few short weeks later, a big surprise was revealed. The inclusion of Kevin Nash and a new name aptly known as the Outsiders. A real American would join the pair, and thus began in the world of wrestling a new world order. Join me today as we discuss the legendary career of the infamous Scott Hall. I ask that we take a few moments and pay respects with the 10-bell salute. Survey says, one more for the bad guy. My name is Carl Carafell, and this is Turnbuckle Talk. This is episode number 262, and a little bit of a somber show this week. Not originally what I had planned, but nonetheless, we pay our respects. I am joined today, for a few moments at least, my good friend
1: ed fries ed how are you i'm doing all right i mean you know as a person who grew up in the new generation era it's it's tough to see your legends and your heroes go and this is one of the first of of my of my favorites from that initial group of growing up in the you know being born in the late 80s finding wrestling in the late 80s early 90s and seeing this group and and seeing him go it definitely it stings.
0: It definitely does for me. This definitely was a new generation. I was born in the early '80s. I was born in '81, and um, yeah, grew up in that era, and then saw the transition into the new era. And it's definitely one that hurts. More than others definitely have. And especially just because of the storied career and, as you heard, revolutionary career that essentially all started because of Scott Hall many people like to give the credit to kevin nash for all of this kind of happening and starting and and everything with the monday night wars and everything like that when in actuality it was really scott hall that did this unbelievable unbelievable i know that you may not have a lot of time with me today so i want to i want to hear from you for a little bit here ed uh, Given me some of your uh, either favorite matches, memories, anything like that on Scott Hall. I will as well kind of go through. Some people did send me some of theirs as well that they have allowed me to be able to read on screen and on video for everyone. But I want to get things from you here first, Ed.
1: I mean, there's there's so many different ones when it comes to you know his shoot with gold dust um you know really making that character in the early days of that gold dust character and and putting it over whether it was true dislike of the character or <laughs> um whether it was just a, an on-screen role um either way it worked um making the one two three kid more than just a, a jobber like that match in may of 93 where the you know the kid like they – Bobby the Brain Heenan, I watched the match back last night because I, I wanted to remember it. Yep. And Bobby the Brain Heenan saying, What's the kid's name this week? Because he kept changing his name. And his trunks still had L Kid on them for yep. Lightning Kid. For Lightning Kid, yeah. For what she was doing on the Indies. And and after that one, it was the one, two, three kid when he beat Razor Ramon on that moonsault and and changed. Changed his own fate because Scott Hall took a chance on a kid and let the kid beat him in in the midst of a great run for Scott.
0: Oh, yeah, it definitely was. (laughs) Because that's
1: coming off. If I remember correctly, the 93 Rumble is the one where he took on Bret Hart for the World Championship. I believe it is. Yep. So he's coming off one of the biggest matches of his career to that point. And after that, we can get to, you know, as everybody will always count to whether you like one or the other. It's the two ladder matches. It's WrestleMania Either or, or yeah. SummerSlam. Take your pick. The a ladder matches with Shawn, where they revolutionized a the ladder match that Bret brought to the company. And Bret and Shawn had the first. But we all forget that because the one at Mania is the one that revolutionized the way that match is operated, the way it goes now. And every ladder match since then can trace its roots back to, in WWE at least, the match between Sean and Razor and WrestleMania 10. And then, like you said, you know, everybody knows who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Right? And then, and, and the formation <laughs> of the NWO. Whether whether it was going to be, as you said, a real American or the icon. Because people forget, Hogan said no. Let's not forget Hogan said no. He didn't think it was gonna work,
0: and lots of people do forget that.
1: Yep. everybody like people remember jokingly that the Mabel was the third man because I think it was one of the dirt sheets reported it, and everybody jokes about it. <laughs> right. But the legitimate, the legitimate backup plan was going to be Sting. Yeah, and I, WCW may have never won the Monday Night Wars for eighty three weeks. With just Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Sting. No disrespect to Sting. None whatsoever. But the NWO at its highest points thrived by the opponents they had. Right. Whether it be the Steiner brothers with the Outsiders. Whether it be Six and Eddie Guerrero. Whether it be Hogan and DDP. Na- uh, you know Savage and DDP. Hogan and Sting it was the opponents that made the nwo what they were it was the belief in all of that of wcw was going to overtake this incoming force right it all starts with hall but it all pivots on that point where if the wrong man is the third man does it all just fall apart and hall was that linchpin mm-hmm. in the wor- in, in his in the darkest times of his wrestling career, he was the linchpin for that NWO.
0: Oh, yeah, he, he definitely was. And I, I, I think that they really, they definitely went in the right direction. And I'm glad that Hogan decided yes to do this because Sting was 100% that other side that was needed. Right. Sting being the WCW was 100 percent the right way to go with things, which just made for great television. It was fantastic. I loved it.
1: I mean, and I know we're not here to rehash the NWO, but Sting doesn't fit the way Hogan does because the NWO is an invading force. Like, yeah, Hogan was there at the time. But Hogan's New York. Like Hogan is as New York as New York got <laughs> right in that time. Because that's how oh, yeah. that's how the wrestling world looked at it. It was Atlanta and New York. Yep. It wasn't WCW and WWF. It was Atlanta and New York. That's right. And Hogan was everything that Atlanta didn't want and didn't need. Oh, exactly. He he was the epitome of the things that like because the Nature Boy is the epitome of Atlanta flamboyance and flair. Right. And because of that, this invading force made so much more sense. Razor coming in and essentially being Scarface because we can't call him Razor Ramon. Right. Because we'll get sued. And they still got sued <laughs> yeah. and He's they still, still yeah. lost. <laughs> but it's, he was so good at being a distinct character that he literally cost the company $3 million, but won them 83 weeks on top. Because of the right. of, of the ability he had to get everybody to believe that it was an actual invasion.
0: And I remember watching it as things happened, as it all progressed. I saw that first episode, that first appearance where he was just in the crowd in street clothes. And, you know, leading up, you know, a couple of weeks later to having the interactions with Eric Bischoff at the announce table to the inclusion of. Kevin Nash, as he's pointing, right? And I mean, it was all just so well done. I, I believed it. I thought, holy shit, this is real. It was unbelievable.
1: Mm -hmm. And it all comes, and it all comes down to Hall. It does. It all comes down to Hall because Kevin's great, but we learned. We learned to to a great terrible, dis, you know, dissolution that Kevin can't run a company with it on its back because right. they they did everything they could to make Kevin a star in WWE in '95, and it, it it didn't work. Nope, <laughs> nope. And Kevin will be the first to tell you it. Like he is, he will be the first to tell you things didn't go the way he wanted in '95.
0: No, for he, him, for the company,
1: everything. Yeah. He will be the first to admit. And, and the same thing with Sean. Like, we look at Sean as the epitome. Sean was the champion who lost to the NWO. Now, granted, yeah, nobody was winning that fight. No. <laughs> it took it took Austin and Tyson to win that fight. Right. Like, I mean, you're talking about two of the biggest names of the generation to win that fight. So it's And again, it all comes back. You you know who I am. You don't know why I'm here. In the middle of a job or match in the first hour. Right. And it changed the landscape of professional wrestling. And he doesn't get that credit because it always goes to the group. The group wouldn't have succeeded if it wasn't him to start it.
0: And I've even had many of my friends actually say, who have been wrestling fans since the 80s and 90s, they have even said, didn't Kevin Nash start the NWO? Uh -uh, Negative. And I have to kind of correct them and say, hey, listen, it was actually, do you remember when Scott Hall was shown on TV? Do you remember it was Scott Hall that brought in Kevin Nash? Scott Hall started it all. Scott like Hall said, started dude, it all
1: in denim too, by the way. And right. In exactly. denim everything. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, Let's not God. forget the atrocious fashion of the time where Scott Hall shows up in oh. double denim and makes the wrestling world take notice.
0: Going from gold chains and pleather vests to denim and making it work. Oh, God. Like, (laughs) unbelievable. Scott Hall, who was born October 20th, 1958, and ultimately lost the battle of life on March 14th, 2022, at the age of 63. We have discussed a lot of the WCW and NWO stuff that he has done, that he actually started... Back in 1984 with the NWA in the Florida territory um, with championship wrestling from Florida. And something that a lot of people don't know is that he actually trained under Dusty Rhodes, Mike Rotunda, and Barry Windham. So three of the probably most powerful names in the wrestling business at that time. Mike Rotunda being uh, later known as Irwin R Scheister, or IRS and t- tag teaming with uh, the million dollar man uh, Barry Windham I mean if you don't know that name you're not a wrestling fan and of course the famous Dusty Rhodes to be trained by those three guys okay you you go into training you've got these three guys that are training you at the end of the day, yes, it is totally up to you to make things for yourself after your training. But if you've gone through that training with these three and don't do anything with it afterwards, you kind of deserve not to have the fame. And the whereas about- Scott Hall took it and ran with it,
1: and I was going to say, like when you talk about the three trainers, like think about this: you've tr- you've been trained under every facet of professional wrestling that you could ever need to learn <laughs> dusty Rhodes teaching you promos and character work Barry Windham yeah. teaching you everything you need to know about being an in-ring technician right and hard-hitting er-
0: technician
1: and then Mike Rotunda teaching you everything because he could do it all <laughs> he could cut a promo he was an in-ring technician And his IRS character While well, goofy and new generation as it was Got over and was solid for so many years.
0: I walked around with a briefcase for a while because of IRS suspenders. (laughs) I wore suspenders.
1: Like it's, it's like you, you, and and to think, he goes from that to the AWA. Right. I believe that, I believe that's your next
0: stop, isn't it? It it definitely is. Yeah. Where he was actually known as Magnum or Big scott hall so magnum scott hall or big scott hall back in the awa and he was there from 85 to 89
1: and i mean that in here you've got him working with mr perfect kurt henning and yes. you've got those two being an amazing team and, and being friends you've got him learning from Vern Ganya which again you- you've 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 learned from dusty rose you know mike rotunda barry windham now you've got Vern Ganya And he's not done yet.
0: No. I mean, Vern Vern must have definitely seen something in Scott Hall because something that was a little out of the ordinary for that time while working with the AWA between 85 and 89, Vern Gagne allowed Scott Hall to work for New Japan Pro Wrestling between 87 and 1990, which you really didn't hear of back then sure yes they they kind of shared talent around every once in a while stuff like that but never to the extent where you're allowing your talent to go to Japan it was always yeah go three states over we're good hmm. this was this was crazy so Vern Gagne definitely had to have seen something in Scott
1: and from the Midwest, too, like you know, people forget what the AWA territory was. You're talking Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, maybe the Illinois area. A little bit, yeah. But like you're you're talking that upper Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> and you're talking about flying not only across the country, but then going across the ocean to Japan. Right.
0: Another little interesting thing that happened during that time as well is in 1987, um, he had a tryout with the WWF. So with that, uh, at a house show in Fort Myers, Florida, he was defeated by Paul Roma and wasn't signed with the company. So very interesting that during that time where he's working, you know, In between the AWA, New Japan, made the time for a WWF tryout at a house show. A workhorse already in the early stages of his career, like most should be, right? Mm -hmm. You definitely should be. 1989 brings him to his first run in WCW. He was brought in by Jim Ross. The promotion was still owned by the NWA at the time. And the initiative was actually to develop new young stars. So he actually debuted June 3rd in a vignette showing Scott Gator Hall. And he was actually out swimming at the beach, playing beach volleyball. They had vignettes of him in boats. He was fishing And where the name Gator comes from is he was scaring alligators. I mean, what?
1: What? (laughs) People talk about how funny things were in WWF at the time. But you got to remember, this is the same period of time in the next near future where you're going to have a guy telling Ric Flair he's got to cut his hair and call himself Spartacus. Right. Like, like, I mean, this is this is WCW in the early 90s when they have no clue what's going on, and they're trying their best, and they're putting good people in good spots.
0: And like I said, they definitely were just some pretty shitty gimmicks, though. That was yeah. His actual in-ring debut with WCW happened on June 16th, and it was only at a house show. His television debut happened July 9th, where he was actually pinned by the Great Muda. His WCW pay-per-view debut happened at the Great American Bash, the Glory Days, where he participated in the King of the Hill Battle Royal. So some really good stuff coming from his very first run in WCW. And that was pretty much between 89 and about 1990-ish. Uh, um, so, I mean, in, in a year span, doing some pretty good things with a company that he's seemingly unknown to. It was very interesting.
1: I mean, you, you work in great mood on your first televised match. I mean, right? does, does life get much better than that? As a guy and who's worked in Japan and all it, that stuff.
0: That's, that's exactly it, right? So because Great Muda has done all of this stuff in Japan and all over the world, you've got now this young guy that's come in, Scott Gator Hall, who has worked over in Japan already. What a great way to introduce him than to have him on television with the Great Muda, who you know at that point that Scott Hall would be able to hang with Great Muda because of the teaching and because of his time in New Japan. Booking at that time was fantastic. That was fantastic booking. That was smart booking. Between 1990 and 91, saw him in international promotions such as New Japan catch wrestling association in Germany and world wrestling council in Puerto Rico. So taking a year and going and traveling and working different companies, what a better bet. Like that's the best way to get your knowledge of absolutely everything is going to be going to different companies, especially in these different areas because wrestling in Japan Is different than wrestling in puerto rico is different than wrestling in germany great way to hone your skills right there is to go to all these companies where you're going to have a lucha libre presence in puerto rico the japan stuff in new japan and then catches catch can brash down to business professional
1: wrestling in germany like Mm -hmm. wow and think, to, to add to the list of names, by the way, because you know we've been doing it as we go along. Yeah. Um, I don't know who was in WCW running the show and whatnot over there in the 90s. But I do know, I just looked it up, World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. That's Carlos Colon mm-hmm. in Gorilla Monsoon yes. at the time. So chalk up two more names of like <laughs> legendary people who you've earned their trust by working with them And being trained by them. And learning from them.
0: That's that's unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: And there's still more to come.
0: There's a ton more to come. He actually returned to WCW in 91-92. Very briefly. He then returned to the WWF in 92-93. And this was actually the birth of Razor Ramon. A character that was modeled after Tony Montana and Manny Rivera from the 1983 film Scarface. So apparently the story goes that Scott actually went to Vince and Pat Patterson with this idea and they absolutely loved it. Having the accent, having that that machismo, having that attitude. And apparently, Vince and Pat Patterson had never actually seen the movie Scarface and thought that Scott was coming up with all of this on his own. Unbelievable. After weeks of vignettes, Razor Ramon actually debuted on the August 8th, 1992 episode of Superstars, defeating Paul Van Dale. Fun fact Paul Van Dale is actually now WWE superstar Carmella's father. (laughs) Little fun fact tidbit for you there. And he used the finisher, the Razor's Edge. So that was the first time that we got to see on WWF television, the Razor's Edge. He was using that move. Prior in WCW, it was under a different name, but he was definitely using that move and honing in on ensuring that it was done properly with the Razor's Edge. I want you to talk about the Razor's Edge a little bit for me, Ed, and any any substantial Razor's Edge that you remember over his career. Oh,
1: so, I mean, the move is just such a pure power move. And... You've seen people, you know, imitate it and whatnot. And like right now, Damien Priest has taken it and, and made it his own and yep. really uses it as a nice little tribute. And, and Damien Priest, ironically, reminds me a lot of Scott Hall. He's got that attitude. He's got that charisma that Scott Hall has. He yeah. feels cool when you watch him in the ring. I I'm, I'm hoping that there was a backstage conversation between these two guys at some point where he's like, hey, do you mind?
0: Uh, the right. razor's
1: edge onto a table or onto the stairs was always that one that got me. I want to say it was the roadie. I think took one at one point onto the stairs that just looked absolutely brutal. But that that move is just—it's such a clean finish that when it you when you see it hit, you're like, "All right, cool, done, dusted. Let's just call it a day."
0: Right? You you just know. You just know. You definitely do. And it was a move that looked so devastating as well. It was crazy to be able to watch it and see it performed at such a level. The music has hit. That means it is time for us to take just a quick little break. Because we need to make sure that we are talking about our sponsors on these shows. So stick with us. We're going to be right back in just a few moments as we talk all things of the legendary career of the now past Scott Hall. Support for Turnbuckle Talk as heard on Love Wrestling is brought to you by Manscaped. Who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world? Manscaped. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code love wrestling at manscaped.com.
1: Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Wrestling, a love and a passion we all share. I've started a wrestling brand, the wrestling brand. A brand founded on the aspects of wrestling, Two entities working together to create a product that connect emotionally for people everywhere. Collar and Elbow is the brand. Passion and love for wrestling is the drive. I am Al Snow, and this is Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand.
0: My name is Carl Carafel, joined alongside my good friend Ed Fries, and welcome back to this edition of Turnbuckle Talk. Second half of this program, we're going to continue talking about his career of Scott Hall, and we are going to... Hear a little bit from some fans that have messaged me and let me know what their favorite memories of Scott Hall have been. So to continue on with his WWF career, after we saw his debut on Superstars, the man became a legend with the Intercontinental Championship. On October 11th, 1993, Razor Ramon won his first IC championship by defeating Rick Martel for the title that was vacant at the time. His second title win came over Diesel at SummerSlam in Chicago on August 29th, 1994. May 19th, 1995, we had a ladder match in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, where Razor... Jeff Jarrett. This win was only recognized for four days, though, before he actually dropped the title back to Jeff Jarrett at a house show in trois rivieres Quebec, Canada. And his fourth title reign came against Dean Douglas at In Your House 4, Great White North, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, on October 22, 1995. This would be his last reign, which lasted 91 days until he lost the title to Goldust in January of 1996 at the Royal Rumble four ic title reigns my my god that that was unbelievable and all within a short span of time as well you're looking 1993 to 1996 3 years 4 wins 4 championships solidified as a legend already at that point
1: yeah, and with those intercontinental title wins, you're talking about the the vacated title that he won with the with Rick Martel. That's the title vacated by Shawn Michaels, which in a few weeks ends up going on the ladder match at WrestleMania 10, um, which leads into the second ladder match with Shawn Michaels, where they they do it all again and they revolutionize the world of wrestling when they're told they can't use the ladder as a weapon randomly. Right. After using it as a weapon the first time, they're told, nope, you're not allowed to do it this time. Figure something else out. And then and I you- guess before before
0: you go on, oh. I guess we should just kind of mention, because I didn't mention Shawn Michaels in any of these. And that's because Shawn Michaels, after, after the vacated title, Shawn Michaels actually came back and said, wait, he's not the real champion. I'm the real champion. And so that's how that uh, uh, ladder match came about. So technically Razor didn't win from Shawn Michaels Mm. because technically it was vacated. But yes, they had one of the most amazing, not the first, but one of the most amazing ladder matches in WWF at the time for that championship for two, two belts. That were hanging above the ring So I I, I didn't mean to cut you off there I just Uh, wanted that everyone understood that
1: I I, I always forget because I'm like New generation era, that's my jam But then again, I I forget not everybody watched in the 90s Right Oh, sometimes it was hard to watch in the 90s Sometimes it was You think it's hard to watch WWF now Just understand that sometimes in the 90s In those early 90s, it was even worse Right, like there, there are some hairy days in those early '90s that 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 you couldn't imagine being a fan. But there's so many good moments, and Razor was part of so many of them. I mean, in the loss to Goldust in January, that was setting up a WrestleMania match where Scott lets his contract expire and goes yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But I mean, that was setting up for a Miami Street fight. Yeah, In the, in the Anaheim where where Goldust ends up taking on Piper. It was all leading to him versus Razor and blowing off that feud. Yeah, it was. It was. Ultimately,
0: that wouldn't happen, though, as you mentioned, as Goldust actually took on Rowdy Rowdy, Roddy Piper in a uh, uh, backlot brawl, um, which was that was absolutely fantastic as well. But another game changer came in what was what's now infamously known as the curtain call where we actually saw Scott Hall, who was was associated with a backstage group known as The Click, which consisted of Kevin Nash, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and the 123 Kid. It was pretty apt for the friends to play by their own rules during that time. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were both leaving the company And it was known backstage by a few. So they were leaving to go to WCW. And with that, Triple H and Shawn Michaels gave them a send-off that broke kayfabe. Which, at the time, was a huge no-no. They actually were supposed to be enemies. They obviously didn't care. As the curtain call was an embrace by all four men inside of the ring before the two of Nash and Hall were to leave for WCW.
1: And to talk about how big of a moment that is, I've talked a couple times to a couple of friends. This moment is the what-if moment that changes wrestling. Yes. This is the what-if moment that changes wrestling. And I'm going to break it down here. I'm going to take a couple of minutes if you don't mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the end of this night, it's a house show in Madison Square Garden. To, to put how, how big this is. A house show at MSG, which is the creme de la creme of house shows for WWE at the time. That you got your best cards. You got pay-per-view cards on a regular at these house shows. <laughs> right. Which was headlined by Shawn Michaels versus Diesel in a steel cage. Yep. And Razor was a baby face and Triple H is a heel. And after Sean defeats Razor to defend his world championship, Razor and Hunter come out. And the four men embrace in the ring and hug. Here's where it gets good. This is the what if portion of all of this. Yeah. Razor and Diesel head south to Atlanta. Yes. Shawn Michaels is your world champion and is untouchable. Yes. Triple H takes the heat for oh, what it. happens. All of it. You know what that heat entails? According to people who were booking the shows, now granted, rumor and innuendo, but people who were in the back rooms booking these shows, Yep. Triple H was going to be the 90s, 1996 King of the Ring. You want to know who wins? Does everybody remember who wins ninety six King of the Ring?
0: Tell us, Ed.
1: <laughs> A young man named Steve Austin wins right? 96 King of the Ring
0: <clears throat> against Jake the Snake Roberts in the finals.
1: Yes. And he cuts the Austin 316 promo. Ironic. Yeah. Tomorrow is Austin 316 day. That's right. <laughs> so Austin gets the platform that puts him at the epitome of the mountaintop by starting it with this King of the Ring win it starts here and it goes to beating Brett at survivor series winning the rumble facing Shawn michaels and taking the title off of michaels and then single-handedly with him and tyson and everything else changing the course of wrestling if the curtain call never happens triple h is your king of the ring austin may never have gotten to the high. Now, granted, would Austin probably have been a star? Absolutely. Right. It wouldn't have been so timely that it changes the course of wrestling. Right. The biggest what if, the the, the thing that people backstage will say was the worst thing that ever happened <laughs> in professional wrestling might have been the one thing that saved WWF slash E. Right. Right, it's very true. Isn't that the craziest notion? And and that's the big, like I said, that's it's the biggest what if. It is because it you never know. Is. You never know what happens with Austin if he doesn't win that King of the Ring.
0: Right. If Triple H had won that, the timeline would have been so so different. Timeline would have been shattered. And you're right. Would we have actually gotten that Stone Cold that we know today? Don't know. Don't know. My good buddy Josh Pace messaged me and let me know some of his things that he uh, remembers about Razor Ramon Scott Hall. I'm just going to read through those quickly here. He talks about uh, the Bret Hart Royal Rumble in 93 matchup versus HBK at SummerSlam 95 and the Outsiders versus Harlem Heat at Halloween Havoc, nineteen
1: ninety six.
0: So those are my good friend Josh Pace's
1: picks. And those are great ones. Like there's there's so many Outsider matches that you can pick. Like I I, I always think of the Steiner brothers when I think of of the Outsiders versus the WCW. It always leads back to Scott and Rick. which which again right with braun you know coming up right now and and losing scott hall it it brings those steiners back into focus for me and it's yeah it's the back and forth and you know the steiners winning the titles back and being screwed by the system and things like that it's i know we haven't got there yet but it's just (laughs) one of those things where it's like i'm not gonna be able to stick around so it's those wcw days and it's it, his WCW career is is so intertwined with that, yeah. that outsider's edge and, you know, just manipulating the system and having these fantastic tag matches. Oh yes, I mean, unmasking Eddie uh, Ray Mysterio. Yeah, unmasking right. Ray, and then Kevin being like, no, no, put it back on. It's okay. <laughs> right. That is. I, I know it's not a Scott Hall moment, but he was part of that match, and it's yeah. just it's ingrained in my mind that Ray takes the mask off and they jokingly tell him to just put it back on that. His face is too ugly. Just (laughs) put it back on. Uh,
0: See these, these are the memories that everyone needs to have and remember Scott McLeod, his memories is WrestleMania 10 HBK and razor Ramon says that that takes the cake for Scott. So thank you very much, Scott, for uh, giving yours to me as well and allowing me to use it on the program today. And I think I have one final one here coming from my good friend Bobby, Bobby Munson. Bobby Money Munson says, saw him live in Saskatoon during the original run as Razor Ramon. One of his early matches is when he came in with a big win over Randy Savage. Royal Rumble match against Bret Hart, ladder match with HBK at Mania. The list could just keep going. Scott Hall, absolutely one of the best, and I agree with that sentiment, totally.
1: And before I hop out of here, there's one more that I keep forgetting, and I keep remembering, oh, yeah. and I no, go back and forth. There's there's a match type. In- 2K20 was a jumbled mess when it came to the game itself. But in the story mode, you followed along with the two characters, and Sean Waltman talked about a match that he lost against Razor Ramon. And they have it in the game, and it's the crybaby match. In your house six, Razor Ramon versus some one two three kid who's aligned with Ted DiBiase. And the loser has to put on the diaper, and has the big oversized bottle. And they the finish of the match is is Waltman trying to cheat by using the, the baby powder. And, and Razor kicks his hand into his face. Yes. yes. JPJ is correct. I believe a diaper is involved. Yes. It's it's one of those crazy WWE matches that you just... Oh, yeah It's so <laughs> stupid and funny at the same time. Oh. And it just made that feud so fantastic. And those two work so well together. I'd be remiss if I went through the whole show and didn't mention In Your House 6, oh, Crybaby Match.
0: I completely forgot about that. I am glad that you remembered it.
1: Oh. It's just, it's it's one of those funky little memories that I have. And it's in the game. So it's it's a reminder because it's right. in the actual game where Waltman's like, I lost one of these. So now you're going to be in this match against me (laughs) because I have to win one of these before I retire.
0: Unbelievable. Wow. Ed. I know that you have to get going. I do appreciate you coming on and uh, being a part of this broadcast with me today. And there's, there's a good reason why you have to take off. So please let everybody know what that reason is.
1: So I'm going to go ahead and get some food and stuff and get dinner ready and then later on tonight, around t- at 10 o'clock, we'll be getting NWA's power out featuring Zach, Plugo, and Kyle Davis of the NWA will be joining to preview the two nights of the Crockett Cup coming up this weekend. And then after that, in the same stream, immediately following, you can follow me, Astrid, and Cody as we go ahead and talk all things NXT on NXT. NXTEA. And that'll be following a directly after Power Out tonight around 10 30, 10 45. We'll probably be starting our show, but make sure to check out Power Out because we have the one and only Kyle Davis from the NWA. Otherwise, you can find me right here at Ed Fries12584. And you can find me on other various love wrestling channels and whatnot. I'm mostly in the comments for a good portion of the shows. Oh, yes. And
0: for all of those programs, don't forget the live programming for everything Love Wrestling is now exclusively on Twitch at twitch.tv lovewrestlingca. That is where you can find the live programming. So make sure you go and check that out. Again, Ed, thank you so much, my friend, for coming in, being part of this. I really do appreciate you. Uh, you you're you always a huge supporter of the show, and I thank you. Anytime, you ever- Self a good night, and you have yourself an amazing stream, like you guys always do. Take care, we will talk soon.
1: It's a car wreck, but it's our wonderful car wreck <laughs> yeah. because I have to press buttons and I'm terrible at pressing the right buttons.
0: That's me <laughs> all the time.
1: <laughs> all right, have a great rest of your show, Carl.
0: Thank you, take care, my friend. Right. Bye bye. Bye. There we have it. We're going to continue on just a little bit here with the career of Scott Hall. And I'm just going to kind of read through everything that I have listed here because we're already 50 minutes into this show. But there has just been so much to talk about that we can't, we can't. Not as bad as bad as Pluggo, I bet. Um, I, I think JPJ is referring to mashing of the buttons to try to get things to work. Yeah, JPJ, you seem to have that down pretty good. Um, Pluggo attempts it. Um, he he does. We have to give him a little bit of credit. He he definitely he tries. He tries. May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six. We actually see Scott Hall in street clothes at a WCW event, which they actually showed him on television. They showed him. And he claimed to be an outsider. So there we go, already starting, planting those seeds, so to speak. June 10th, Kevin Nash joined for a hostile takeover of WCW where the pair actually slammed Eric Bischoff through the announce table. Thus comes the pair to be known as the outsiders. JPJ, you are correct. Plugo tries. And in the end, That's all that matters. 100% it is. You can't learn, you can't grow if you don't try. Bash at the beach, July 7th, saw a six man tag match with a mystery partner for Hall and Nash. This partner turned out to be none other than the one and only Hulk Hogan. And this ushered in. The New World Order of Professional Wrestling, baby. We jump ahead a few years where Hall was actually ejected from the NWO Hollywood in late 1998, where he actually began to refer to himself as the Lone Wolf. His last appearance in WCW came February of of 2000 at super brawl between 2000 and 2001 scott hall then would work for ecw and make a return to new japan pro wrestling 2002 saw scott hall return to the wwe on february 17th at no way out due to personal demons he would eventually be let go on May sixth of two thousand two. Between two thousand two and two thousand five, and then again in two thousand seven and two thousand eight, we saw Scott Hall join the ranks of TNA, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. A third return to the WWE between 2014 and essentially 2021 saw Razor Ramon, the character Razor Ramon, announced for the 2014 Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame for a second time alongside his NWO members, Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Sean Waltman. This was as part of the 2020 class. Although due to COVID, 2020 did not happen. They were all inducted in 2021, but as part of the 2020 class. March of 2022. That's correct. This month, Scott Hall was hospitalized after falling and breaking his hip. He underwent hip replacement surgery, and after this surgery, a blood clot dislodged, resulting in him suffering three heart attacks. He was put on life support on March 12th and taken off of life support March 14th. The WWE announced his passing later that day. I do not want to end it on such a sad note. It is very difficult. So we're going to end it on some good things that happened. He made an appearance on the Jerry Springer show during his fourth reign as the Intercontinental Champion. Where he actually presented merchandise and tickets. To the WWE, to a underaged couple that were legally married. One of them was a huge Razor Ramon fan, and it was a surprise for them on the show. Two thousand nine saw him begin hosting a YouTube show called Last Call with Scott Hall, where he would interview guests such as Sid Vicious, Kevin Nash, Ricky Ortiz, Larry Zabisco, and Sean Waltman. In 2013, Hall appeared on HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel alongside DDP and Jake Roberts to talk about DDP's impact on their recuperation. Since moving in with DDP to take part in uh, DDP Yoga DDPY, and for DDP to help his friends with their addictions and demons, 2015 saw Scott Hall appear on as a guest on the Larry King Show, and appear in the 2015 film The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts where he was chronicled for his time with DDP and Jake the Snake Roberts. So a wonderful career and very lasting memories coming from Scott Hall. Like we've said, this is definitely a tough one. The outpouring of love and support over social media from different companies, from different workers, from friends, from family, and from fans alike has been amazing. Thank you, Scott Hall, for everything that you did. And for revolutionizing the world of professional wrestling. JPJ coming in saying an all timer and rest in peace. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today, for joining me and for joining Ed Fries as he was on the program as well. I appreciate anyone that wants to come on and talk some professional wrestling. So thank you. Thank you to all of you fans and supporters who are essentially my co-hosts as I go through this game of podcasting solo. Thank you. For myself, Carl Carafel, and for all those involved with Turnbuckle Talk, and over on youtube with turnbuckle studios we say good night and we will see you all on the next one